Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm just going to move this forward a little bit. I like a bit of space. Um, just before I start, I was just really struck in the last bit of worship there, just about being at peace with God, and it's just incredible. And in Romans 5, it says, uh, there's just some amazing words in it. It says, we've been justified by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we've attained, obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amazing words in that. We've been justified. We have hope. We have access. I was just so struck that, Lord, I have access to you. I was so lost. I was rotten. I was far from him, but I have access to him. Even this morning as we were, Adam and I were praying together, uh, I just thought, I get to speak to him, the creator of the universe, the one who made everything, and he listens to me. I mean, if you knew me before, way back, you, I, it just blows my mind that he wants to listen to me. And it's incredible that we are at peace. We have access. This is, you know, quite, this is a special thing that we get to do. We gather together as saints, as believers, and we get to sing to the Almighty, the, the one who saved us, the one who died for us. We mustn't pass over that. I'm going to pray that God will speak to us in this next two hours of preaching. And... <coughs> um, why are we laughing? Okay. No, I'm going to pray that God will speak to us uh, from his word. Let's just, this is life, what we're going to read from this morning. This is truth, and he wants to speak to us. So I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you that you love us, that we have access. Lord, we have access to you. We can enter in, Lord, to your presence. You fill us with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life. Lord, let it uh, really go deep into our hearts. Let it take root into our hearts, into our very being today as we read the word of God over us today. Jesus, let it affect us. And let us go from this place, Lord, different from when we came in. Holy Spirit, will you come? Prepare our hearts. Lord, help me speak this morning. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to carry on in our Luke series today, as you can probably guess. Um, we're going to go from Luke 5, verse 12 to 26. We're going to read a bit, and we're going to stop and dig in a bit. Then we're going to read a bit, preach a bit, read a bit, um, if that's Okay. Um, we'll just have a quick catch-up whilst you find it in your Bibles. It, the words will appear on the screen as well. Adam, can you just pass me the clicker, please? Thank you. Um, <clears throat> the words will appear on the screen, but we'll just catch up from last week. Uh, if you missed it, uh, it was amazing, so you should probably listen to it online. Um, <clears throat> Jesus was by the lake of Genesaret. <clears throat> Can't remember, actually. But... Um, <laughs> 
but it was good, apparently. Uh, so last week, Jesus was by the lake of Gennesaret, and he was, uh, or Galilee, and we see the first call of the disciples, the great catch of fish, where he call, call, tells the disciples to cast their nets out. Um, and then Peter leaves everything to follow Jesus. That's what we were looking at last week. Uh, the costly call to follow Jesus. That this isn't just an add-on into our lives. Um, that Jesus, like Jesus with Peter, God pulls us in to bless us, but sends us out to bless others. He pulls us in to bless us, but sends us out to bless others. Well, that's what he did with Peter. Um, and now Jesus is uh, in other cities and he's coming across two different types of people in the verses that we're looking at today. Two different types of people that both need healing and an encounter with the living God. So let's start from Luke 5 verse 12. <clears throat> While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Verse 16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So, Jesus is venturing into other parts of Galilee, as he said he would do in chapter 4. And he's approached by this man, it says, who is full of leprosy. Now, what do we know about leprosy? Well, we know that it's not very nice. <clears throat> leprosy um, can refer to a, a wide array of diseases. It can produce lesions on the skin, swollen areas. Um, it can attack the nervous system. It says it can include Hansen's disease, psoriasis, lupus, ringworm. All in all, not very nice. We know from the Old Testament as well, there were specific instructions in Leviticus about uh, identifying the disease in a person. How to declare the person clean or unclean. It's in Leviticus 13 to 14. If you had this disease, you were completely ostracized. If we look in um, Leviticus 13, 45 to 46, it says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, as more difficult for some people than others, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, he shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. It's a, a lonely existence. Nobody wants to hang out with a leper. It's social isolation. Uh, if, you, if you remember last week, we had our friends here, Jeremy and Laura, who live in Bethlehem in South Africa. Um, about 10 years ago, I went to visit them. And they, when they were in their previous church just outside Bethlehem, they were running this HIV AIDS program called People of Hope. They were going into the townships and they were helping people with HIV and AIDS. And it was like this. 
that people with HIV and AIDS were completely ostracized by the families and societies, completely rejected because they thought it was some sort of curse or it was something that they had done, completely rejected by their families and all of the society, even within the township. So for the, for the church to go in and love them and help them keep clean and healthy uh, was an amazing thing to, say, to see. But it was a bit like that. This is a bit like that. They were completely ostracized. They would live on the edge of their towns, in some times in their own communities, while the disease would destroy them. Phil Moore, in his book about Luke, quotes Dr. Edward Hoffman in 1866, writing about how terrible the disease was. He says, The disease attacked the ears and nose, causing them to enlarge. Cartilage in the nose then collapsed. The eyes became inflamed and began to tear. Eyelids, lips and chin distended enormously. The whole face was a horrid experience. The skin became gangrenous by the slow process of this terrible disease. This was horrid. And it says this man was full of leprosy. It appears this man is alone because it, it says Jesus only heals one man. And it's so it's possible that this guy is at an advanced stage of leprosy. That's why he's on his own. And he approaches Jesus with humility. He saw Jesus and fell on his face. He asked Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And all it takes is one touch. One simple touch. Jesus is, of course, willing. Verse 13, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus goes where nobody is willing to go. He touches nobody else who is willing to touch. And let's remember again who is writing this. Luke, the physician, when he says the leper is full of leprosy. One simple touch makes him clean. Not just healthy, but clean. The man is restored made whole instantly by those who come to Jesus receive redemption because he is so willing to give it to those who ask him. Jesus also perfectly fulfills Old Testament law by following the orders to present to the priests and make an offering for the healing. This ritual would take about a week. It pictured the cleansing and removal of sin. Even the follow-up program for the leper reinforces the message of what Jesus has done. There, there also aren't loads of healings of lepers throughout Scripture. There are a few. There's Elisha in 2 Kings. There's poor old Miriam in Numbers. Um, <clears throat> Jesus works the miraculous here. He works the miraculous in those who have been rejected. There must be no place that we mustn't be prepared to go to, to reach people for Jesus. There must be no pit too deep. There is no pit too deep that his long arm of grace is not willing to reach down and pluck people out of. You can never get out of reach from Jesus. This, leper, this leper's healing pictures Jesus cleansing us as well from our sin. We might tend to treat the leper as something disgusting or horrid, but we can excuse our own sin sometimes. But God treats our sin so seriously 
that he sent his son to die. To clean us from our stain of sin. This shows us nobody is outside of God's healing grace. We're called to reach to the fringes of society. Everybody the world might reject, the lost, the broken, the hurting. It's, it's easy, isn't it, to reach out to people who look like us, who behave like us. But less easy to reach people who don't. Who might behave in a, a different way, who we might find offensive, who they might swear, they might live up, might not live in a way that lines up with biblical principles. But they're exactly the people that Jesus wants to reach. I remember um, a few years ago now, when I was living um, in East Anglia, in Bury, St. Edmunds, <coughs> uh, we were beginning to reach a particular group of young lads. And uh, they started to come along to our football that we did on a Wednesday night. Then um, I sort of made them come to Alpha. And um, <coughs> uh, we started just trying to have input into their lives. And we would go into their flats. They lived in bedsits. And I remember going into one young guy's bedsit, and he, we were trying to reach this guy. He hadn't yet given his life to Christ. And we would, me and my friend Dave, who leads the church there now, we would go into this bedsit, and it, the smoke was just hovering above, above you as you went in. They were all smoking weed, because you could smell it. I know what it smells like, because I used to smoke it myself. And there was just this layer of smoke hovering around on the ceiling. And it was... It was dirty, it smelt, um, they were rude, they were offensive, and the, the guy who lived there was just sleeping on, just on a mattress, no sheets or anything, and it, uh, we used to bring him food, and we used to you know, help them try and make good decisions, um, and it was difficult, because I didn't want to always go in there, I didn't want to come out feeling slightly lightheaded. I I, I wanted to, them to appreciate what we were doing. But a lot of the time they didn't. A lot of the time they just took it. A lot of the time they didn't say thank you. Um, they would swear and you know, take the mickey out of us. But we were reaching the unreachables. And we saw the guy who lived there come through. <coughs> It was funny, actually, after a while, they used to ask us. We, we built up a bit of a relationship with these guys and even some of their, his friends who we didn't quite reach, but they would ask us in the end if they could smoke. When we, talk, when we got there, they would put out their, their cigarettes or their joints, as it normally was, and they'd, they'd say, oh, is it all right if I, if I smoke? Or, well, this is your flat, you can do what you want. Um, or they would apologize for swearing. But we, we were starting to make progress into their life because we were trying to reach them. We were trying to show Jesus, say, look, we're willing to go here. We need to have the same attitude as Jesus towards others. His readiness to forgive anyone who came to him. Let's not get in the way. This leper would have been rejected, would have been probably not great to look at. Jesus then sends the, the healed man to the priest, charges him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest. He, it's not 
100% clear why he wanted to do, why he said that, but he maybe didn't want to attract lots of undue, unnecessary attention. There's more we could look into this about the, the leper. Um, there's the cleansing ritual. And it's, if, if you're like me, you find it all very interesting. There's involving birds if you went to the priests and... Um, one bird is sacrificed and one set free, and there's a lamb on the eighth day. Um, all very interesting. If you want to know more, read Leviticus 13 and 14. Verse 15 <clears throat> says, But even now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. We know from the same story in Mark 1 that the leper wasn't silent. Luke doesn't mention that, but does note the consequences. Great crowds gather. Everyone wants to hear and be healed. In Mark, it says, he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. This is the leper, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. It's starting to get really busy now for Jesus. In the midst of busyness, of more and more people wanting his attention, what does Luke say at the end? He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. In the midst of it all, he took time away to be with his father. He emptied himself. He was preaching and teaching, healing the sick. He sets us a perfect example of how to live. Work hard for sure, but take time out. Spend time with him. Always try to spend time filling yourself with more and more of him. Now, my friends will take the mickey out of me, some, some of them, about because I only listen to worship music. Um, that, you know, I'm a bit out of date and stuff now. But I, I do that because when I'm at home, uh, on the rare occasion when I'm by myself, it does, it's difficult with uh, you know, busy family and stuff, but when I'm there by myself, I just want to listen to worship. I want to worship him. I want to feel myself more of him. I want to seek him. I want to say, Holy Spirit, because this is a, an ongoing daily experience that I can come and be filled again and again by the Holy Spirit. I, I just want to come and be filled because, you know, I'm busy. I, I, I want to be, I want to do well with the church. I want to be a good father and a husband. Oh, Lord, I need you. I need him. You must do that. In the busyness of all the hustle and bustle, people wanting his attention, he would withdraw. Make time. Not just on the go, not just reading the Bible on your phone, on the train or on the way to work, or praying in the car, but time where you can be still and listen and speak. I, I remember when I was running my own business in, in Suffolk, I made sure I used to leave early, but I would get up even earlier so I could just read and pray. And in those times, shaped my life, shaped decisions. God spoke to me. God spoke to me about moving to Seven Oaks in those times. So if Jesus did it, we should do it. <clears throat> I'm sure there was pressure on him to be with people. He just took time out. 
It's also about rest as well. We can say, well, I'll have an afternoon off. I'm just as, I'm as guilty in this as well. Take time off where we can just be with the Father. We can relax. It is a command to take a day of rest. You can ask me about how I'm doing on that in a few weeks' time. Because <clears throat> I don't do well on that as well. Okay, let's move on. We need to get through this. Verse 17. On one of those days, he was te- as he was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. Um, as someone that's worked in roofing for 20 years, I found this story very upsetting. But um, <laughs> just no consideration. No consideration. You know, you're going to have to get some sort of tarpauling over that to not let the water in. What if it rains that day? Anyway, <clears throat> Jesus' fame has now spread. And we see this first exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the fact that these religious leaders are here we, shows us that news of Jesus have reached the highest levels of Judaism, especially as there were men there from Jerusalem. And the Pharisees were one of the main religious sects, along with the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. And the name Pharisee meant and was derived from the word that meant separatist in Hebrew. Uh, they were popular as well at the time amongst the Jews. They were a kind of this lay separatist movement whose goal was to keep the nation faithful to the Mosaic faith. They, they and the uh, scribes had this radical modernization of the law of Moses. They'd uh, into 248 commands, 365 prohibitions, and 1,521 amendments. Praise Jesus for... The new covenant. <laughs> so they started with a good idea, the Pharisees. They wanted people to obey the Bible, but they got lost. They ended up, they started with people wanting to obey the Bible, but they ended up complicit in the murder of Jesus. The problem was the Pharisees made it about what they did or what we do rather than what God was doing. About us living a perfect life rather than the one who was coming, who was now in front of them, living the perfect life for us. It was about our works rather than God's grace. They got it all wrong. In the Gospels, the Pharisees are often presented as these hypocritical, proud opponents of Jesus that Jesus states it bluntly in Matthew 23. He says, they do not practice what they preach. So they are kind of these, they come across as self-righteous. They're, they're a bit smug. Um, they're deluded that they're trying to please God, that they, they keep the law or parts of it, or so they think. 
Jesus points out to them, however scrupulous they were in the, following the finer points of ritualism, they, they failed to measure up to God's standard. He says, um, failed to measure up to God's standard of holiness. He says, You've reject, you have neglected the more important matters of the, of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And now the Pharisees are in the front row of this house listening to Jesus. Listening to Jesus teach. They've turned up at Connect Group. And Jesus is there and the power of the Lord is with him to heal. Jesus shows up at your Connect Group. That's quite exciting, isn't it? It's going to get really busy. You're going to have to get out all of your tables and chairs. That's a long, long table. And the, these guys are there. They're at the front row. And guess what? They're in the way of a paralyzed man trying to get to Jesus. This is a well-known story about the man getting lowered down in front of him, in front of Jesus. But these guys, the friends of the paralyzed man, are so desperate to get their friend to Jesus, to be touched by this amazing man of God. They go up onto the roof and, and, and they, they make a hole. It's okay, people. So I'm all right. Yeah, I could. That, you'd have to. That'd be a good quote, actually. Emergency repair. So, um, so you just imagine that at Connect Group, you're sitting there, and then all of a sudden, this this hole starts to appear in your roof. I would not take that well. So they go up on the roof, probably via some built-in steps on the side of the house. That's where you go wrong. I mean, if you don't want a hole in your roof, don't put steps on the side of your house. But they are desperate to get their friend to Jesus. What are you willing to do to get your friends to Jesus? You know I turn it on to mission somehow, don't you? What are you willing to do to get your friends to Jesus? These guys make a hole in a roof. They carry him on a bed. They lower him down. That, you know, it probably would have been quite difficult to lower him down as well. We'll advertise our next alpha. We'll, we'll really push it. But statistically, the best way and the most successful way of people coming on alpha is through invitation, through friendship. That is how people come to Alpha, through friendship, through relationships, through personal invitation. Have you ever tried inviting someone to church? Sometimes trying to reach friends, talk to friends about Jesus comes at a great cost. We have to go out of our way. We have to be uncomfortable. We have to invite people around for dinner, share our lives with people. People that don't know Jesus. Are you prepared to go that extra mile? Are you prepared to go out of your way? People are great at making excuses for not to come to things. How resilient are you to get over people's barriers? Okay, so this man is lowered in front of Jesus. That's going to get his attention, isn't it? Talking, teaching, wonderful things. Oh, man, through the roof. 
it's going to get his attention. And he's lowered down. Jesus looks at this man lying on a mat or a bed. What is his obvious problem? We can't walk. He has a leg problem. Jesus looks at the man and knows but his more serious problem is not his legs, it's his heart. Imagine that today. Jesus is standing at the front of the church and some, some friends carry a paralyzed man to the front of the church. Everyone is looking at Jesus, waiting for him to act. What does Jesus do? Let's read on. And when they saw their foot... When he saw their faith, the friends, he said, Man, your sins are, for, are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what had been lying on, he had been lying on. And he went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Extraordinary things today. So the man is brought to the front. He's lying there. Jesus says, he doesn't say get up straight away. He says, your sins are forgiven. Uh, thanks, Jesus, but that's not the immediate problem here. Um, I mean, think about this. Did Jesus make a mistake here? Was he, was he really missing out on this man's greatest need? Is this the way Jesus relates to us too? You know, he's talking about all that inner life, the spiritual stuff, the sin. But is he really missing out what's, in, on it, what's really important to us? Can't he see what we really need? Is he even listening? See, the answer to these questions have great impact on us all. It's pretty clear that Jesus was telling this man, in fact, that his biggest problem was not what he thought it was. It was not his physical condition. His biggest problem was his sin. Tim Keller wrote this about this little section. He said, if you find Jesus' response offensive, please at least consider this. If someone says to you the main problem in your life is not what's happened to you, not what people have done to you, your main problem is the way that you've responded to that. Ironically, that's empowering why? Because you can't do very much about what's happened to you or about what other people are doing, but you can do something about yourself. Our main problem is that we've turned our backs on God, ignoring God in the world that he's made. It's rebelling against him by living without reference to him. It's saying, I'll decide exactly how to live my life. And Jesus says that's our main problem. It's not a leg problem. It's a heart problem. The man thinks his deepest need and desire is healing. Jesus is, is saying, no, you need to go deeper. The man's thinking, if only I could walk again, I'd be set for life. I'd never be unhappy. I, I'd never complain. I could walk and everything would be all right. No. 
Jesus is lovingly telling the man what he really needs. If Jesus were to heal just the body, he might, the guy might be happy. He, he'll be thrilled for now. But Jesus knows the discontent of the human heart goes very, very deep. Only forgiveness from sins. Only being made right with God, in the sight of God, being in relationship with him will fill that need, will fill that deepest desire. Jesus must have perceived in this man as well some small willingness or need of repent, repentance. Because it says as well, doesn't he, that he perceived what, they, what the other guys were thinking. He must have perceived in as well some willingness to repent. He doesn't wait for the man to ask nicely. Oh, Jesus, please, will you forgive me? Please, can I? No. Or he doesn't ask for him, wait for him to do it the right way. Jesus is so willing and so eager to show his grace. He, he wants to meet with us. He is so kind and tender. He, he didn't need to touch the leper. He could have just healed him with his word. Remember when the centurion and the centurion's um, uh, servant and Jesus is going and he says, oh, you don't even need to come, Jesus. Just, Oh, yeah, he's healed. Just by speaking. He didn't even need to go to him. But no, he takes the leper and he touches him. He's so tender and so loving and so merciful. This is Jesus. He wants to show you grace. He's so loving. Why would you not want to come to this Jesus? Why would you not want to give your life to him? Why would you not want to spend your whole life committed to following this tender, loving, wonderful Jesus? He wants to touch your life and he wants to meet with you. When Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, it's through mercy. He wants to meet with you. He is so loving. Why would you not want to come to him? When Jesus says your sins are forgiven, it's easy for us to read over that quickly. Because, well, he's Jesus. That's the sort of thing Jesus says. But the people in the room, the religious leaders, to the readers of this for the first time, they would have been shocked. This is a huge claim by Jesus. The Pharisees and scribes are rightly shocked. They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? What do they mean? Jesus, I mean, Jesus himself taught on many occasions that we need to be ready and willing to forgive those who sin against us. The disciples' questions about how many times do we forgive someone? Seven times, Jesus answers, no, 77 times. Forgiveness is part of the Christian lifestyle. So why all the controversy? So if Adam came and punched me on the nose and I'm standing here thinking, oh, that really hurt. But Catherine comes over and says to Adam, you're forgiven. I could be standing here thinking, well, hang on a second. You haven't got any right to do that because surely only I can forgive the sin that's happened to me. You can only forgive a sin if it's happened, been committed against you. So when Jesus looks at this man and says, your sins are forgiven, he's saying your sins have been actually committed against me. 
In Psalm 51, David is asking for God's forgiveness. After his adultery and murder, he writes, Against you alone I have sinned. He's not saying what he did to Bathsheba and Uriah didn't matter and he didn't owe him, but he was recognizing that all of our sin is ultimately a rejection of God. Sin, in essence, is our decision to live apart from God, from God's presence. It's living without any reference to God, and this is ultimately the source of conflict in the world and in our lives. It's shocking. It's shocking to the leaders here. And they know what he's saying when he calls himself the son of man. He's referring to Daniel, Daniel 7. When he refers to himself as that, this is the first time in Luke, and he does it 25 times in total. This is Jesus' claim to divinity. This is Jesus saying, it's me. It's all about me. It's, I'm the one. I'm the one who'll save the world from itself. I'm not just a moral teacher. I'm not just a healer, a miraculous worker. No, I'm the one. I'm the one who'll save the world. I'm the one who's coming to die for you all. He says, which is easier, to say your sins have forgiven you or to say, rise up and walk? He does one, heal the man, to show that he can and he will do the other, forgive the sins of the world. Jesus is saying, my friends, it's going to be infinitely harder, infinitely harder to affect the forgiveness of sins than you can imagine. I'm not just a miracle worker, I'm a saviour. Any miracle worker can say, take up your mat and walk. But only the saviour of the world can say to a human being, all of your sins are forgiven. Only the saviour can say that. At that moment, Jesus had the power to heal the man's body but he also has the power. He has the power to give us the career, the success, the relationship, the recognition we've been longing for. He has the power and authority to give each of us what we've been asking for on the spot, no questions asked. But Jesus knows that's not deep enough. He knows he needs to affect your heart. We don't need someone who can grant our wishes. We need someone who can go deeper than that. Someone who will lovingly and carefully pierce our self-centeredness and remove the sin that enslaves us and distorts even our most beautiful longings. In short, we all need to be forgiven. It will take more than a miracle worker or a divine genie. It will take a saviour. Jesus knows that he, to be our saviour, he's going to have to die. He forgives the man of his sin. But he also heals him as well. Are you ready to come to him today? Afresh? Or for the first time? If you don't know Jesus, he's so willing and so eager to give you mercy. He was so willing and eager to show me mercy, even when I was fighting against him. He just kept pursuing me and pursuing me. I kept rejecting him. I was a blasphemer. I, I mocked him, but he loved me. He pursued me. I thought I wanted this, but he, he knew the deep-rooted discontent of my heart. He knew that I needed him. He knows that all of you here need him.
So will you come to him today? Will you say, Jesus, break in, come into my life. Jesus knew he was going to have to die. When he said, which is easier, actually it would have been easier just to say, get up and walk. When he says your sins are forgiven, he knew he had to go to the cross. He knew he was going to have to die. And he died for you and for me. Can you stand? We're going to pray. Now, you may be here and you have never given your life to Jesus. You haven't become a Christian. But he's so eager and so willing to, to come into your life, to affect your life. He's not going to make your life amazing and this wonderful bed of roses to, for the rest of your life. But he's saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can come to him again if you're feeling distant from him. He is so willing and eager and tender to come and touch your life. Jesus, and all you have to do, if for the first time you want to just come to him, all you have to do is say, sorry, thank you, please. Sorry, Lord, that I have turned my back on you. Thank you that you died for me, that you forgive my sins. Please come and take first place in my life. That's all you have to say. And by your help, Lord, help me follow you with the help of your Holy Spirit. Help me follow you for the rest of my life. And if you prayed that for the first time, you have moved what the Bible says, from death to life. Jesus, is, heaven is rejoicing if you have done that today. And Lord, as a body of people, as your church, we gather and we say, Lord, help us make you the center of our lives. Lord Jesus, help us reach the fringes of society, those who have been rejected by you. Lord, come. And help us. Help us be focused on what you are doing. And Lord, I pray, Father, in the days to come, we will, we will leave church and we will be saying, we have seen extraordinary things today because God has moved, he has healed, and he has saved. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.